$5,000. That's the average amount of money people in the U.S. are now spending on gas in a year. Five grand. That's crazy. If you drive, you have to download Upside, the free app that gives you cash back every time you get gas. That's right. You can earn real cash back with Upside just by buying the gas you're already buying. You can literally start earning cash back today. I use Upside every time I fill up, and I've already made around two, $300. You're putting gas in your car anyway. Why not get real cash back? If you like free money, download Upside. I'm saving the cash I earn from using Upside to help pay for a vacation later this year. Download the free Upside app now to earn cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code SAVE to get an extra 25 cents per gallon on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code SAVE for a 25 cents per gallon bonus. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyo Lee, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we interview awesome people who are making the world a sexier place, doing things like mm, podcast and adult content and hosting awesome, awesome things you're about to hear about. Today, our guests are Brian and Brenna from Front Porch Swingers. Welcome, you two. Thank you Thank for you having us. <laughs> Can you start off by telling us what is the sexy work you do in the world? How are you making the world a sexier place? And what is your sex at work origin story? So kind of everything started as a blog. <laughs> and it was fun. I, I love writing. So that was kind of the start of it. When we started in the lifestyle, we were in rural Montana. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah. I didn't really have an outlet. I felt like I didn't have people to connect with and talk to. I felt like we were having all of these fun, sexy experiences, but being able to share them with other people and just express myself, that was missing. So I started a blog and then Brian was like, well, the blog is great, but a podcast would be so much better. And I thought he was completely insane because I knew nothing about podcasting. I'd never even had one of these in front of my face before, <laughs> a microphone. So yeah, I was like, I don't know why we would do that, but Brian talked me into it and we started the podcast and really it started off as me just being able to express myself and us being able to have conversations about non-monogamy because mm -hmm. that, again, in Montana, you're limited in terms of kind of those connections that you can have with people. And so I just wanted something to like pump my sexy energy into. And I thought that's all it was going to be. <laughs> and it exploded. <laughs> so yeah, that turned into the podcast kind of spun into a lot of different things. We've done everything from, you know, educational seminars to event hosting to just, uh, you know, creating like networks of sexy people all across the country and the world. So yeah, it's, it's kind of gone. It's taken on a life of its own, if you will. <laughs> okay. And Brian, how was that for you as that was evolving? So I come from a world of adult entertainment from sexuality world. Uh, for almost 30 years, I was an executive at a high level for the largest adult entertainment company in the Southwest portion. I say, as a matter of fact, they just sold publicly this week for $66.5 million. Oh, wow. Prior to that, the company I worked for sold for $220 million publicly. <gasps> so I did it at a high level. So sexuality was never out of my wheelhouse. And I grew up in a very progressive household. My father operated and owned gentlemen's clubs when I was a young boy. Yeah. So it, this was not new to me. And so when Brenna and I started dating, we were three months into our relationship when we decided we need to open this up. Like literally 
combined in one night in bed, we came up with this idea. And <laughs> from that point on, 10 days later, we were, we were in. Literally 10 days was the first experience. And we have not stopped since. And when my bright idea to have this put this podcast together, I didn't know what the hell a podcast. I, I mean, I knew what they were. I didn't know how right. to do it. Right. I'd listened to them, but had no idea how. We just did it. I mean, we started out on our cell phone with, you know, mics clipped to our lapels. And then we moved to like a, a little one microphone that we were using. And then finally, you know, we got to the point now where we have our own studio and, we're you know, it's like a real thing now. It's actually a job. So we had no idea. We were working corporate jobs before we did this professionally. So it was, okay, a, it was so a big jump. Corporate jobs. Yeah. Were you worried at all about like sharing your personal details or kind of what was, was that a choice for you? Or was that difficult? Were you just like, let's do it? Well, what was interesting when we first started the podcast is I didn't want to use our real names or show our faces because I had a family, obviously not, not children, but I have a family in Montana and we had, like you said, professional jobs. And so I'm like, God, there's just so much stigma attached to this type of thing that I don't feel comfortable doing that. And Brian made the really good point that, you know, all that we talked about was how much we didn't want to have to be in hiding, yeah. how we were really proud of what we were building together. And he's like, well, it's counterintuitive to say that and then hide our faces and use fake names. Right. So he kind of talked me into it. It took a little bit of time. I'm very, very glad that we did in hindsight. <laughs> but yeah, to answer your question, there's a lot of fear attached to that. I yeah. mean, I had a very high powered career before this and I was afraid it was all going to go away. Yeah, me too. I worked for, I mean, I can't even tell you who I worked for when we were in Montana because <laughs> everyone knows who the person is. And so I hired a First Amendment attorney locally in Montana in the event mm. That something came up because neither of us had actually signed any kind of morality clause. And I was just concerned. I wasn't even concerned for myself. I was a subcontractor, independent contractor. I was a third party. Got it. I wasn't worried for me. I was worried for Brenna because the, the company she worked for is like one of the largest in the world. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is going to be a problem potentially. So I hired a guy who specialized in workplace law and was a First Amendment guy. And fortunately, we never had to use him. So we still have him on retainer. Great. <laughs> but, That's great. <laughs> just in case. Okay. So what about the part of your origin story that is your personal relationship? Like, how was it? What was the choice like to be like, let's do some of this oh, for... man, we fought it. Yeah. We fought it hard. Our relationship? Yeah. Well, yeah. So our relationship was supposed to be a dom-sub dynamic. That was the whole point of it. It was not yeah. meant to be anything more serious than kind of exploring kink together. That's how we started out. Right. And both of us were like, we don't want to be in an exclusive relationship. We don't want this to be anything serious. And then all of a sudden, I woke up one day and was like, I've been staying at your house for like 10 days straight. <laughs> this <laughs> well, is a thing. <laughs> so. To be fair, let's back up. We met on Craigslist, first of all. Okay. I was in the state of Montana permanently for like five days when I found her ad on Craigslist. I come from a BDSM background. So does Brenna. And I had left uh, the state of Texas after living there for 30 years and went from Houston to Montana, literally with a small stop in between uh, in Denver. And so when I got to Montana, I was like, you know what? All of the, my history is history. I don't know anybody here. My life is completely new. And so no one has any idea who I am. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to be anything I don't want to be. So when we met under the guise of a BDSM subdom relationship, we were just word vomiting to each other. We were just telling each other everything. So when it was almost like you didn't have anything to lose, like yeah. this isn't yeah, going to be a relationship. Right. So let's care. just be honest with each other. Yeah, we don't give a shit. <laughs> you know, who cares? Right. So one, I remember distinctly, we were, we literally were fighting it. And finally we went and had dinner. We had uh, drinks at one of our favorite places downtown. I'm sure. We made a spectacle and we were, <laughs> we were sitting at the bar and we're like, look, either this is going to happen or it's not, but this is stupid. Like, what are we doing here? And then that was it. We had never been apart 
unless we travel for work independently. But I think that origin was what led to us being non-monogamous and being so free in all of this because when you are so completely transparent with your partner about the things that you want, it's so freeing. I had yeah. never had that before. So I was like, oh my God, yeah. this is a completely different dynamic for me. Well, also between us, we have five failed marriages. I was married and divorced four times. Okay. I'm no fucking good at it. Well, I'm not it's a, a different kind of success. I'm not a quitter, <laughs> but I'm no yes. good at it. So I finally was like, look, I've done this wrong so many years. I can't continue to do the same thing, right? So I've got to change something. So my whole idea was I'm just going to be myself and that's just going to be the way it is. And we'll see what happens. And fortunately, it worked out. Yeah, <laughs> yourself. Okay. And what was your experience prior to Brian like? So I got married when I was 21 years old. I was divorced four years after that. And as soon as I was out of that marriage, it was on. I was exploring everything, kink and, you know, my bisexual side, my pansexual side, just like, you know, laying it all out on the table. And again, that's why it was so weird when we got into a dynamic together, because I wasn't looking for that. I wanted to just continue that free exploration. And in my mind, it was like, those two things can't coexist. You can't be you know, in a healthy, amazing relationship and also explore because right. I'd never experienced that or been exposed to it before this relationship. Like you can't be committed and slutty. Like somehow I it doesn't hear that from a lot of people. people. Yeah, well, in my house where I grew up, it was never like that. My father and my mother were very progressive. Even now, my mother's like our biggest cheerleader. She's 84, you know. And she's um, like, where she's are you guys like, traveling? Yeah, where are you, you going doing? now? You know, it's like, yeah. So there was never an issue having a conversation about sex or relationships or any of that stuff. But it's still like in the back of your mind, you know, like, is this right? Am I supposed to be doing this? Should I be having this relationship and feeling like this? And then to find a partner when you could actually express that because I'd never done it before. I completely subverted it. And it was great. But I figured, you know, this is brand new. I'm just going to throw it all out there. And like I said, it worked. So Wow. Can you give us kind of an overview? I don't know what makes the most sense for your work, but like a day in the life, a week in the life, a month in the life of like the main things you oh. do in your sexy related work, just for our listeners who maybe haven't dived into your goodness yet. We do a lot. <laughs> so obviously we have the podcast. It comes out every single week. That's kind of my baby. I love that. I love the creative process of it. I love the editing. I love the marketing of it. And then in addition to that, we host lifestyle events. We host one every single month in Las Vegas. And then typically at least one more in another city. They're very unique events. We host mostly what are considered hot wife events, which are a little bit different than your normal like sex party or lifestyle party. So, you know, a lot of our work is around marketing for those and vetting people. We don't just let people in off the streets for our events. We care very, very deeply about the safety and security of the people that are coming to our events. So we do interviewing processes and vetting and applications. That's a big chunk of our time. Yeah. And then in addition to that, we both have an OnlyFans. I'm definitely more involved in it than Brian sure. is. So, you know, that's been really fun for me too. I didn't know that I had this kind of exhibitionist side of me. And I should have because we literally talk about our sex life on yeah. our podcast for a living. But to be able to feel like I'm putting no, on <laughs> a real life show for people. Oh, it's so exhilarating. So I do a lot of that, too. And obviously, it's a lot more work than just getting on camera and having sex. But that's been kind of a new outlet for me in the last few months just to be able to because it used to just be like my nudes. And now I'm doing actually, you know, full fledged sex scenes. Yeah, collaborative nice. stuff. 
for me, you know, I'm the event guy, so I come from the hospitality world, obviously. So I, I deal with all the logistics for all of the events, whether it's, you know, Denver, the hotel takeover, whatever it is. So it's constant. And of course, keeping up with the marketing, the social media aspect, and really interacting with people. Starting at like eight o'clock this morning, I was returning emails from people reaching out, asking questions about events. Mm -hmm. and, and then there's just people asking questions about their own personal stuff, like the yes. gal I communicated with today. You know, what it's like you, you have a show, people resonate with you, they see you. They're part of a, a community that we have created, an amazing community of friends and people. And so they reach out and they ask questions like, oh, you know, this happened last night. Did I make the wrong decision? And, you know, you just try to talk them through it kind of thing. You well, know? I was going to say that we really do try to, like, give back to the community, too, because I feel like it's done so much for me mm. personally. And, you know, being able to just open up and my confidence soaring and all of these benefits that have come out of it that are non-sexual, that I feel like I need to pay it forward to other people. So a lot of our time is spent, like you said, answering questions, you know, even just on Reddit. I mean, all of these different platforms just <laughs> communicating with people and showing them that there's a safe and healthy and awesome way to be non-monogamous yeah so 2023 for us as it pertains to our events is basically full so now we're prepping for 2024 wow so congratulations we've already got, yeah, got two takeovers planned for 24 and 25 okay so now it's just kind of layering in the additional monthly stuff as i mentioned to you we've got a meeting after we're done interviewing with you to talk to somebody about a club here locally again so it's constant it's just constant what was your education process around non-monogamy like? Like, where did your learnings come from? So, I mean, I didn't even know non-monogamy was right. a thing until I listened to a podcast. Okay. Nice. <laughs> and then I was like, wow, this is a thing. Okay, cool. So I think that was kind of my first exposure to it. And then obviously getting into the kink world, you see there is some crossover between those two lifestyles, if you will. So that was my first kind of entry into it. And I'm a very analytical person. I want to know everything about everything. So I'm somebody that's, I'm going to dive into every book, every blog, every podcast. I just want to be immersed in information. So it's really interesting too, when you first get into this space, how you can have all of the information at your disposal and all of these resources, but you also have to couple that with real life experiences. And I was not fully prepared for that because in my mind, I'm so, I'm a planner. I want to know exactly what's going to happen. I want to be able to know you know, here's plan A, B, C, and D. And then you realize that all goes out the window when you're actually participating in it. So, I mean, I think for us, it was combining the two, or at least for me personally. Yeah. And we have a really unique dynamic. Well, we both will analyze something to death, literally. <laughs> Brenna is definitely more like, she, like she'll fact check me. In case you didn't notice, we have 20 years between us. I'll give you a hint as to who the older one is. <laughs> so I have way more of the life experience, but I'll say something to her like pop culture and she'll instantly like, I don't believe that. And instantly mm -hmm. fact check me. So I'm more like, ah, I'm usually right. Just saying whatever. Normally, <laughs> normally not the case. Uh, however, I, I'm more like, well, shit, let's just throw it against the wall and see what sticks. Let's find out. You know, I'm that guy. So we have a really nice balance when it comes to that. I think you also had exposure to non-monogamy prior to me though. Yeah. I was uh, very much a bull for in the space for a long time. Ooh. But also, because of my profession, in Dallas, Texas, for example, my former company owned a piece of property that the most prolific lifestyle club in Texas at the time existed in. So we were basically their landlord. And I was thrust into it because, yeah. for a professional reason, I had to take it over. Okay. Oh, wow. And so I was given an intimate look inside of what that really looks like from a professional perspective. 
And I got to know a lot of these people. And of course, people from the outside, they don't understand the types of folks that are ethically non-monogamous. They're your neighbors. They're literally the people that you go to PTA with. Or your kids' with. teachers. It's or your, your doctor. doctor. It's yeah. your dentist. <laughs> like, people don't understand that. And so I'm immersed in this. And I'm talking to these people who are very affluent and really friendly and super nice. And it's an engineer and a lawyer and a doctor and all these, you know, high-powered city officials and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, well, this is this is just normal then. So I'm not, you know, clearly I'm not crazy. This is a thing. And it really did open my eyes to it. So the more I got comfortable with it, the more interested I became in it. So I really did immerse myself in it. Amazing. When you are doing a takeover, is it called a takeover because you're taking over a venue? Uh, if you do a hotel takeover, hotel. you're oh, basically I taking see. over. Okay. You're, you rented out the entire hotel and you're taking over the property. Okay. So when you do those things, are you also playing? Is that part of it for you? Or are you mostly in like managerial holding role? Okay. It really depends on the event. There are some events that are very taxing in terms of the energy that's required yeah. and, you know, making sure that the safety protocols are in place and making sure, you know, the security guards we have in place know what they're supposed to be doing. And there's a lot of yeah. moving parts and pieces. The bigger an event is, our events here are a little bit different because yeah. it's in a venue that's very controlled. It's a much smaller crowd. It's, you know, 70 people versus 400. Yeah, 70 to 125 versus 200 to 400. It's a very okay. different thing. Wow. So it just depends. I mean, I think for me, I tend to network a lot more than Brian does at these events. It's pretty rare for either of us to actually play at them. Yeah, it's very rare. But I use it as almost like a speed dating opportunity. Like I'll get to know a bunch of people and then make connections for later. Yeah. Nice. Now I have engaged at a couple of our events, but that's because the friends that we have created and the, and the regular play partners that we have created, for me, it lends itself to a much more comfortable situation as opposed to like just a random one-off stranger kind of thing that I'm not good at anyway. I don't do that. So at our events, especially the bigger ones, there's so much going on. There's mm -hmm. so many pieces and moving parts. I find it difficult to concentrate on that. So I'm really just kind of, focused on it. Amazing. So do you identify as sex workers? Oh yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Even before doing OnlyFans, I felt like we were sex workers because our podcast no. is not super informational. No. It really is us dissecting our non-monogamous adventures. Yeah. So, I mean, that's sex work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Love it. If you're trying to figure out like the five things to bring to your next hotel takeover, you don't want to listen to our fucking show because you're not going to find that. <laughs> that that's not, that's no. not what we do. You can Google that shit. <laughs> what you're going to hear is exactly what we deal with on a daily weekly basis. I mean, I have two regular full-time play partners in town, plus mm -hmm. my primary partner. Mm -hmm. Brenna's very active. So, you know, we have a lot going on, you know? Mm -hmm. So our experiences, we share all of that with consent, of course, on the show. And it's a, it's real, real time. Amazing. You know? Oh my gosh. So ultimately, where would you like to see your work lead? Like, what are you looking forward to creating just going forward? I mean, I would like to see our events continue to take off, mostly because we do our events very differently than I would say the average people out there that are hosting events. In fact, the reason we got into event hosting to begin with <laughs> is because we were going to events over and over again, whether it was in Montana or in other states, and we were very kind of disenfranchised with totally them. Totally get it, yeah. Yeah, and everyone has their thing. So I'm not speaking badly about other event hosts out there, but for us, it was like, we want to see inclusivity. Yeah. Neither of us are straight. We want to see consent discussions. We want to see safety protocols. Yeah. We want to see actual discussions about, 
you know, proper etiquette in these environments and how to make sure that everyone can feel comfortable in them. And we weren't seeing that. So that's really why we started to do what we do, what we do now. And I think I would like to continue to see that take off, but also kind of shift it more into an educational perspective. Brian actually has been kind of heading up a project we have coming up called the ENM Summit, the Ethically Non-Monogamous Summit. And the entire focus of that is getting leaders in this space or people that are prolific in this space together to have these difficult conversations. How can we make sure people are having a ton of sexy fun, but also making sure that it's safe and inclusive and comfortable? Yeah. And along with that, the biggest portion of that for me is, you know, as Brenna said, we went to a lot of events. Now, a lot of these were in Montana and they were horrendous. Mm -hmm. Okay. They were just horrendous. And now, of course, that we've been traveling the, the country for the last two years or more, we've gone to a lot more events and we've seen a lot more impressive events but then of course there's always something missing or, or something that we ah, i could do this a little bit better and you know that kind of thing so with the enm summit what i'd like to see that become is so we're working with the national coalition for sexual freedom and with open the organization for polyamory and ethical non-monogamy mm-hmm. we would like to see for lack of a better term the ncsf ordain a set of rules and guidelines and policies and procedures that resorts clubs promoters event yes. hosts would follow yeah. and if you're not stamped by the NCSF in this group, then, you know, we want to have a conversation with you about why you aren't following those rules. And some people aren't going to do it. And that's just fine. There's no cost involved. We just want to educate people. And if you're not willing to do that, then we're not going to promote you. You know, this group is not going to promote you. And that's really what we're looking forward to. So we do have the most prolific, the largest operators in the space for the last three decades, for sure, coming to this event. There's about 16 groups involved in this. Um, so it sh- really should be a, a launching pad. And that's that's my hope for this. That's you know. awesome. So give us a little overview now of like, what do you think are the sexiest parts of your work? And then what are the parts that are the least sexy for you? The turn-ons and turn-offs. I love telling the stories on our podcast. Obviously, the second half of every one of our podcasts is one of us or both of us, typically one of us, recounting an experience. And I love that for many reasons. One, because it allows me to kind of sit with all of that information and think through it and learn things. And I will have these aha moments while we're having these storytelling sessions that I feel like make me a better non-monogamous person. But also, I love the look on Brian's face when I'm doing it. It turns me on. It's freaking fun. So I think that's my favorite part. I would say the least favorite part of all of it is people don't understand how much goes into all of this. There is so much administrative work. There are so many bookkeeping elements there. You know, for events, we have things like insurance and we have to hire people. We have to vet the people we're hiring, non-disclosure agreements. There's all of these elements, especially that go into sexually oriented events that I don't think the average person would ever even consider. No, for sure. So yeah, much to Brenna's point. So we have our personal life, obviously, and professional has evolved. We started out very differently from where we are right now. And when it comes to our engagement with other people, where originally I would either be in a doorway adjacent and listening or watching or maybe down the hall, and then we moved into a situation where Brenda would play in another state or another town or, you know, that kind of thing. We play completely separately now. We are 100%. We don't play together. We don't play with couples. We're completely separate. So a lot of times we won't even tell each other about our experience and we'll find out on the show. And then the reconnection, while it's always intense, it gets that much more intense because I may have waited five days to hear <laughs> what's happened, right? Because all I'll know is that something happened. I don't maybe won't even know who, 
Yeah. And that's it. And vice versa. Unless, of course, I'm playing with one of my regular play partners who happen to be her friends. Right. So And then I hear about it. Yeah. And then she hears about <laughs> it. So, yeah. So that's my favorite part of it is being able to, after being together almost six years, five plus years, you know, doing this professionally or at least doing the podcast and still having that surprise and that excitement about it. That's the best part for me. The worst part is that administrative bullshit, right? All the stuff that has to go into it. It is not easy to do these things. It is an absolute nightmare. It's very time consuming. It's stressful. You're anxiety ridden, you know? Um, some weeks we work 70 hours a week. It's Yeah. Some, and some weeks it's, I'm out of town. You know, one of us, if one of us has to travel, one of us has to be home most of the time because there's so much to catch up on. So you expend a lot of energy chasing all this little stuff to create all these events, you know? And then of course it's the legal crap. You know, the, we've got multiple LLCs. We have cease and desist out there. We just applied for service marks and trademarks and to protect our stuff because people are stealing it and trying to use it. The censorship oh, issues. That's another thing. Sen- oh, it's so bad. We've lost so yeah. many Instagram accounts and TikTok. TikToks. Oh, and- <laughs> it's the bane of my existence, that shit. It really is the worst part for me. Yeah. It's like there's an attack on us just for being sexual people. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, but, it, yeah. it totally is. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health, but if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. On that note, kind of, maybe this is a different, what's the silliest or like, is there a funny standout moment that had to do with someone else's shame that you've encountered in the course of your work? Because like so many people, it's so sensitive. Like, is there a moment that comes to mind? Well, yeah, well, kind of for me. I don't know necessarily that it's shame, but I run into this a lot or I've run into it a number of times. Not with my regular play partners. Typically when I've met someone, and this is how it works for me. This isn't for everybody. Let's say for the sake of argument, a couple reaches out to me because I play as a single guy and typically with a couple or the wife of that couple who are also a hot wife or stag and vixen couple. I will encounter these folks. We'll meet for the first time, all three of us, typically myself and the couple. And inevitably, one out of maybe three of these women, once we get to a point where we're maybe going to be intimate, there's always something. It's unique, right? I've been, I am a super lucky guy. I really am. Clearly, I'm a lucky guy. But what you don't see 
are the amazing women that I've had the opportunity to play with who for I was the second person ever they've slept with their entire lives. A great honor. I've been that person. That's, I've That's been that awesome. guy more than once. Cool. And it is, it'll freak you out. Sometimes I knew ahead of time, a couple of times, and other times I had no idea. Oh. But when you find until after, but when you know that that's the case, like in this one particular case that I'm thinking of, this woman was so neurotic about everything about her physically. She was spectacular looking, but super nervous because no one else had ever seen her naked in the same room alone. With, you know, it was just so in, internally worked up over it. It would take, and it takes a little time to kind of break through that. So it's not so much shame. It's really this lack of confidence. But now this woman has flourished, mm. flourished. Because we still communicate yeah. with everybody that I play with. We're all friends. She's like a different person, much like Brenna was when we first started. Yep. She was demure and, and very submissive and wouldn't say two words at an event. Now she's the first one naked, having a party. <laughs> you know, it's a whole, this is a whole different person. Not the same person five years ago. So watching that evolution is really unique. So I don't know necessarily that it's a shame thing. And I guess it could be related to that. But more than anything, it's a confidence piece. Yeah. It's, a, it's an empowerment thing. Yeah. Maybe generations of societal shame, too. Oh, for sure. So on that note, I mean, this is you've touched on this a little bit already, but maybe we can hear some details of how your personal life and professional life have informed each other over the past few years. Sure. Oh, man, there's so many ways that that's happened. Yeah, that's a show in and of itself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I mean, I think the biggest one that comes to mind for me is obviously we are talking about the people that we're being intimate with on the show. And there's a lot of responsibility in that. We've had to really find a balance between being honest with our listeners and being transparent because that's incredibly important to us, but also honoring the relationships that we have with people, gaining consent to talk about certain things. So that in itself has taught me so much about, you know, just relationships in general and your ability to communicate with people. I, I can't think of a time that we've really had someone say, don't talk about me on the show, but I can definitely think of times when people have mentioned certain elements of a play session and they say, I would prefer if you kept this off of the show. And for me, that's a realization of how important that was to them. And I learned so much more about them through that. So I, I think that's the big, biggest example that I can think of. Yeah. And to Brenna's point, actually, one of my regular play partners at one point asked me not to say something about a particular scenario for a particular reason. And of course, we abide that. But we are always cautious because we never want to hurt anybody's feelings. While we're 100% transparent, if there's something that we think is going to potentially hurt someone's feelings, we tell them ahead of time, look, we're not going to talk about this. This isn't a, something we're going to discuss. Also, a lot of times what people don't realize is we don't talk about everything on the show. We save some stuff for ourselves and the people that we're with. So not everything is, is put out there. Everything that's put out there is accurate, but it's not all put out there. So for me, the stuff that kind of transcends is when we've had an experience or I've had an experience, someone hears it on the show, the per that person hears it on the show. And then I will instantly get a text message. I just talked about one of my regular play partners who I just saw last week. She listened to the show immediately as soon as it was downloaded and texted me right away with her critique. You know? Oh, a critique. <laughs> and she's amazing. So, and she, really what she did was she, she sent me a reassurance text like, hey, this is 100% okay. You can absolutely talk about this. Do not feel bad about it. And so that's that kind of, that's where it crosses over, right? Because I've had this experience with this amazing person and now we're talking about it. 30,000 people are going to listen to it per show basically. Yeah. And that's a big deal. 
Yeah. You know, and then of course our friends will come to our events. I was just going to say the events yeah. are That's a what whole I was different thing. Okay, this yeah. is where it crosses over. Because so this is what I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, obviously we we host events for profit, but it's so much more than that because when you see our friends well, specifically, <laughs> the people that yeah, most of, them, <laughs> most of them, most of the people that come to our events are either listeners of our show or a lot of times they're friends. friends. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a lot of responsibility in that because this isn't just pay us a ticket and come into this environment. Yeah. It's we want to create a good experience for you. That means so much to us. And I take it really, really personally. Yeah. And so I think we go into every event with that in the back of our minds. How are we going to make this a safe environment for our friends yeah how are we going to make sure they have the absolute best night that they can possibly have so there is there's a ton of crossover our work life and our personal life are not at all they're, they're, they're so intertwined it's okay. not even funny well so. brenna just went to the golden knights game she was at the hockey game sunday with both of my play partners Ooh, fun. That's like a, i mean that's it's like a big deal right i mean that doesn't ever happen yeah. there's rarely a thing but beside that, the people people coming to our events that don't know us, they're maybe listeners of the show and have never been, the one thing they can absolutely resign themselves to the fact of is that our events are curated with our friends in mind. Because the last thing we want to do is embarrass ourselves, not provide a good experience for our friends. So every time anybody comes to an event, we know instinctively we don't have events where our friends don't come. So we always want to take care of them. So it's a hospitable situation for everyone, mainly because we want our friends to have a good time. You know, that's the biggest thing. I love that. Also, you preempted my work-life, personal life question. That's great. <laughs> but do you have any other thoughts to say around work-life, personal life boundaries? Like if you, if you ever had to assert something in a work session, if it got too personal or vice versa, like are people trying to be too personal in a work situation? Like, does that come up for you? I mean, I think it happens more so in the OnlyFans realm, which okay. is a whole different thing from everything else we do. Because for me... I do want to get to know the people that I'm playing with. I'm not the type that is, and no judgment whatsoever, but I'm not the type that's just going to meet someone and bang. That's Same. It's Same. not my thing. So that's very different in the OnlyFans realm and the content creation realm. For the most part, it is this very transactional thing. And I've had to kind of resign myself to the fact that I'm going to have fewer opportunities in that world because I do want to be social. And I do want, <laughs> I want to, to know the person. I want to know who yeah. you are. I want to know what makes you tick. And yeah. there are a lot of people that are just like, nope, we're going to have sex and it's all about the money. And again, I respect that wholeheartedly get that bag, but it's just not who I am. So I think that's been kind of the biggest boundary for me is finding people that are like-minded in that world, yeah. not so yeah. much in any other realm of our pers professional no. lives that I can think of. No, I, I much as Brenna mentioned, so for, I am a terrible creature of habit, first of all. And I also genuinely like to know the people that I'm engaging with, particularly regular partners, right? My two play partners in May will be a year that I've met them both. So in my former life, I gave zero fucks, did not care, did not matter. I was a complete man whore, just didn't make a difference. That's just who I was. I'm older, I've lived through that. I have no interest in that anymore. I want genuine relationships with people. Where it gets weird is because people resonate with us. They hear us on the show, they listen every week, potentially for years, mm -hmm. you know, 200 plus episodes, mm -hmm. and they think they know us. They come and meet us at an event, maybe not even our event, and there's this very kind of, familiar thing that they have and we don't because we don't know them and that's where it gets a little murky we have had great experiences meeting those people and a lot of them are getting to know them but there is a little bit of a strange kind of interaction from you know the show to when it gets personal at least right? initially yeah initially yeah and you know the other thing is we we have to be cautious because we will allow the professional world 
our professional world to interfere in our personal space. We very often have to say, enough, we're done today. Let's, we have to go out. Let's go have dinner. We need a drink. I don't eat. It just happened last night. We went out for a drink. We had a horrible day. day. Our TikTok got shut down. We had all of these other like professional things that happened. So we're like, let's go out and just have a drink and decompress and just have some time together. But that didn't happen. We sat on our phones the entire time trying to figure out, are we going to do another TikTok? Are we going to switch to another platform? I think the biggest separation is with us, not with other people. Yeah, that's yeah. the biggest issue for separating. We're terrible at that. We're yeah. terrible we're workaholics. workaholics. Yeah, we it, do. It's ter- well, it's a yeah. corporate world. I mean, I, I, you know, I had clubs and restaurants in four different time zones. I used to sleep with my phone on my chest on vibrate, oh, so shit. I wouldn't wake up whoever was next to me. That's how I lived. And casinos I had ten class B casinos, and I, it was batshit. Oh, wow. So I don't know how not to do that, right? So. We'll be out. We're having a drink with this beautiful one of our favorite places, and I'm like, "So what are we gonna do?" She's like, "Stop talking. I don't want to. I don't want to do this right no now. No work talk. No work talk. So we owe ourselves a night out because we haven't done that yet. Yeah, totally. Well, and, and it's the flip side of like, "Ooh, we do work that turns us on," and then it's sort of like there's a right, there's but, a balance. But you can you could make it unsexy really yeah, quick. Really quick. Start talking about that. Yeah, shit, right? totally, totally. Yeah, I I had to learn that the hard way with a former partner, and I was like so enthused. It was the origin story of my podcast, and then I was like. Oh, it's terrible when you break up. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oops. exactly. Yeah. Um, Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor, and they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice, so I'm very excited, and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities, all thanks to Floor. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Fleur app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Floor invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Floor now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. Okay, so it sounds like your boundaries are pretty clear with people. Can you reflect a little bit on what have you learned about kind of like social and cultural norms through your work? that you found surprising? That I found surprising. Honestly, I'm surprised at how many people are monogamous <laughs> that still love our work. <gasps> really? They listen to our show. Yeah, they reach moms. out. I will never forget that email. We yeah. received this email from this. It was very early on. Yeah. And she was like, I'm monogamous. I have no interest in this world at all. But I listen to you guys when my kids are at soccer practice and I'm in the <laughs> van by myself and I turn it up and I listen. And I'm like, that, that surprised yeah. me because I expected we would get so much pushback 
from people who aren't in this world, right. from, you know, I mean, obviously she's not a sex negative person, but right. I just expected so much more pushback than we received. We've received a lot of support from people who may never be non-monogamous. Yep. And yep. I, so, I mean, that was the, definitely the biggest positive, I think, from, from my perspective. I think another thing that I'm always surprised about is the number of people that are willing to be so honest with us. Yep. I mean, we have people that reach out. We don't know them. Again, like you said, there is some familiarity there, which mm -hmm. I really appreciate. But people <laughs> will just lay out their life stories to mm -hmm. us. And you oh, realize yeah. very quickly it's because we are being vulnerable every week. We are right. pouring our hearts out on this podcast, and people resonate with that. And I don't know. It's, it's so rewarding for me. Yeah, the good news is, I'll tell you the, the truth for me, I'm always surprised when like the monogamous world celebrates us. First of all, that's a huge thing. We do get that a lot. Like we're living vicariously through yeah. you. We can never <laughs> do this, but we listen together and it makes our sex so much hotter. So great. Cool. Yes. Do your thing. You know, we <laughs> tell know. people all the time, like, the well, best compliment ever. they're like, what can we do to just feel like you guys? I said, well, we tell people all the time, just go out to a bar, sit separately and flirt with somebody yeah. and watch your partner do that. Then go home and bang like bunnies. Yeah. It's hot as shit. Yeah. So we get a lot of that stuff. The pushback I think that surprises me the most is from inside the space because there's a lot of that and it's really weird. well yeah. yeah I mean I think there's also another thing that surprised me was the kind of contradictions between different let's call them alternative lifestyles yeah. so for example Brian and I obviously coming from the BDSM world we got sidetracked in non-monogamy and that was really our focus but then we got to a point where it was like we want to get back into the kink world yeah. right. so we started going to munches and again, this is in Montana okay so judgy yeah take it yeah. with a grain of salt but we yeah. went to a munch and Brian had left the room so he didn't really understand exactly what was, what was going on but they they were going around much like you do at munches introducing themselves saying what their role was kind of just you know dropping some piece of personal information about themselves right so, i play this way kind of yeah, thing yeah. i'm a sub i'm a down you know whatever okay. so brian comes back in after i've already introduced myself and he says uh, I sit ne next to her and i'm clearly next in line yeah, yeah. i'm brian and we collectively are swingers and literally everyone in the entire room went dead silent and just stared at us with their eyes wide and i was like why is this weird? We just talked about someone being hooked up to a car battery. Well, How is that? I mean, and no judgment. That's freaking yeah, awesome for you. But yeah. I didn't understand that level of judgment. Right. And it's not the first time or it's not the last time that we've experienced that. I've also experienced it in the poly world yeah. because Brian and I are very open to the idea of polyamory. I had gotten into a local group that was specifically for polyamorous people on Facebook. And one of them recognized me from the podcast yeah. and kind of announced it to the group who I was. And they kicked me out. Right. And to them, it was like this idea of if you are swingers, yeah. And you're not, if you're not monogamous, but you're not poly, then you don't really understand our world. Right. And you you're kind of an both. outsider. So there is a lot of just Head turmoil between yeah. the spaces. Wait, so the idea of kinky swingers is breaking people's brains? Like kinky well, the purists, oh, right? Okay. Because, so okay. I mean, well, even it's in the swingers. not swinger, everyone, no, by any means. But even in the swingers space. Well, so back to Brenda's story. The first thing that the director of this munch laid out for everybody was, this is a safe, non-judgmental <laughs> space. It's literally the first thing they said. Now, here's what's really shitty. You talk about hypocrisy. We sat there. The room got, I mean, it was dead quiet. It was 50 people in this room. We, it was super awkward. We very quickly were like, and this is in a coffee shop, by the way, in Montana. It was a private room. But, but yes. it's in a coffee it shop. Okay? It wasn't just in the middle of yeah. a coffee shop. Well, but. Yeah, but let's not pretend it was someplace <laughs> super clandestine, right? It's like the largest coffee shop in town. So we finally, we leave. I'm like, fuck this. We're out. We weren't even home yet. Two couples in that room 
who we clearly recognize, had reached out to us on one of the dating platforms. Hey, just saw you guys at the munch. We thought we would, you know, reach out to you and see if you guys wanted to have a drink. Well, you were, you know, throwing daggers at me from across the room 30 minutes ago. So you're clearly under, you're under the radar, right? You're not, you're not being fully honest either. So it was really kind of shit. So you learn very quickly when you operate in all the spaces, which we do, we that do. there yeah. is not, there's not as much acceptance no cohesiveness. as there needs to be. And there are some groups that are starting to really try to fix that. We have friends yeah. that are, they host a lifestyle podcast and they also host kink events kink and events, they're yeah. trying to kind of bridge those gaps and help people understand that like we're all doing the same thing we're all exploring yeah. <laughs> we're all trying to find our genuine selves there is no you know ulterior motive to no. what anyone is Everybody doing wants to be happy but i i really do think that i personally feel that there are certain things that people hold really dear to them in yes. these spaces because they are so judged and they're so afraid yeah. of being judged by other people they feel protective of their own yeah. and so i would like to really see that change that's something that's a big goal for us over the next couple yeah. of years yeah and it's and even within so the you know the umbrella of ethical non-monogamy you've got a lot going on yeah there. yeah but they rarely coexist. They don't want, most of them don't want to. You have purists in every category, including the, the swinger category. And the truth is, if you're under 45, you don't even know what a swinger is. You don't even know the term. <laughs> but there are those purists, you know, and it's like heteronormative couple for heteronormative couple, same room, same bed, lights on. That's not, we don't yeah, do yeah. that. That's training wheels as far as I'm concerned. Like you haven't even gotten out of the first gear yet. But that's how people play and that's their thing. But if you do anything outside of that, like the hot wife space for us, I mean, people are like, well, wait a minute. You guys go out separately on dates alone? Like, yeah. Yeah, we're really good at that. We do really well. And then, and oddly enough, we come back home together. Figure that, you know, go, go figure. Yeah, people are super judgy in this space. This illustrates so well why I am obsessed with interviewing so many different people one-on-one. -on -one because I don't know how we figure out what other people's assumptions are. I can't figure them out. Well, it's labels, right? You know, it's, it's labels. Labels are for other people. But also labels mean different things. People can mean very different things when they use the word lifestyle. Are you in the lifestyle? Depending on what group of people exactly. you're in, it yes. means something completely different. And so, exactly. wow. Oh, that is that. Those are surprising things. Okay, so this is piggybacking off of that. Are there sexual norms that you would like to shift in our world? For oh, so sure. many, <laughs> so many. Toxic monogamy. Should we start with toxic that? monogamy? Assuming monogamy Jeez. is the default, that's the big one. I think the other one from from the lifestyle perspective that we see so much, obviously. Being Brian is not straight. He's a pansexual man. Yeah. In the lifestyle, bisexual or pansexual women are so celebrated. It's almost yeah. like an expectation that women yeah. are not going to be straight. And when you're not straight, it's like, hell yeah, okay. game yeah. on. Yeah. Men are not treated the same way. Yeah, why is that? I, because there's, there's this fictitious, unwritten hierarchy in the swinger of space is that what you think it is or do you yes. think it's a societal thing because i think that men are expected to be well masculine and i think people okay. assume that if you're having sex with someone besides a woman as a man that that's somehow less masculine well consider it from a, a generational perspective right so guys my age so i was born in, in 1970 okay so so i'm old i'm 53 okay. so anyone in this space that is let's say 40 or older they grew up in a very different time me specifically, right? Now, fortunately, I did not grow up that way. But, you know, the idea of someone my age, a guy my age, admitting that he is other than straight in a room full of presumably straight guys, you're almost never, in normative life, you're never going to see that happen. Mm. I don't give a shit. I challenge you to say anything mm -hmm. to me. Because if you think that masculinity 
and heteronormative behavior are synonymous. You are out of your mind. Okay? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, if we have all pansexual people in this room, that's yeah. like, great. I mean, yeah, just, <laughs> that's I, like my dream. <laughs> yeah, but the, but the idea you can't be masculine or manly or rugged and not straight is like this bizarre concept to people. But again, I do think that there's this unwritten hierarchy in the space because of the purists, right? You've got the the heteronormative couples at the top of the list. And then you've got the unicorns, obviously, at the bottom. Of course, the, the female of the couple's got to be bisexual. That's like a standard. And then it's everybody else. And then at the bottom is bisexual single men or, oh. or men in general. It's just, it's so strange. You know, it, it really is a strange concept because they think if I'm not straight, the guy, obviously, I'm instantly going to be attracted to you. It doesn't work that way. I'm not attracted to every woman and I'm not attracted to every guy. It just isn't a thing. Or non-binary non person, people. yeah. You know, I, I, you know, I have dated transgendered people because they're attractive to me. That's it. It's no more complicated than that. But they really do make it difficult. Yeah. It, it's one of those things that's like toxic monogamy and then this bullshit. Like, they just can't get over it. I'm doing a seminar at Naughty New Orleans about bisexual men in the space. Mm. I do it all the time. I just did one in Omaha, Nebraska, which was a huge success. Room full of guys. Amazing. In Omaha. I was shocked, yeah. Yeah, wow. Omaha. Wow. 50 guys in the room. I couldn't believe it. Wow. Yeah, so I think it's getting better on some level, but there's definitely that that stigma. You know, it's really, it just sucks. Man, I just love spaces where it's like, can we just all be turned on by each other? Like, you don't have to participate with everyone, but let's... Well, you don't even you know, have to like it. A, yeah. Just accept just, it. Just, you don't have, you know, just... Yeah, what do you care what I'm doing? Or I think people getting doing. turned on in a room is a great thing. It really is. You know, and it's interesting because like I am a I'm a high arousal pansexual attracted to most people if they're nice people. Yeah, right. Yeah, and yeah. that doesn't mean I'm gonna fuck most people because exactly. time because I ha now I'm at the point where I'm like, well, I have to have a really good, compelling reason because right. like otherwise I would only be fucking like well, yeah, even right. if I am attracted to you, that doesn't mean I want to have sex with it you. Like that, I'm not trying to do that. Yeah, right. I can yeah. just find some like artwork. I can find it attractive. I don't have to have to, yeah, I don't have to take you know? all the artworks home. Yeah, I don't sure. need it all. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm, I am with you there. Okay, so since you began your work, and you can pick any industry you want, you can pick podcasting, but have you noticed any trends in your industry or just in your personal work, like, over the course of the years? Yeah, I definitely have. Well, podcasting is exploding, first <laughs> of all. I mean, when we did it, when we started our podcast five years ago, I think we were one of 12 or 15 lifestyle podcasts out Something. there and most of them weren't doing it consistently now it's huge and i love that for many reasons i i just love that we're seeing sexuality more represented in the podcasting space period i do think also that we're starting to see podcasting platforms hosts etc that are starting to take lifestyle podcasts and sexuality podcasts a little bit more seriously they're starting to see the value in our audiences which is so huge i mean we have a couple of you know national companies that work for us that sell sponsorship for some major companies that you would never expect would be willing to work with people that yeah. talk about fucking for a living yeah. and yeah. it's so cool to see that kind of evolution i do think it's going to continue to move in the right direction i'm always surprised whenever we get a new proposal mm -hmm. and so i think that's probably the biggest thing i see from the podcasting perspective i think from an event perspective 
I personally think we're going to start to see a lot fewer events because Mm -hmm. I think what people don't realize, especially when it comes to like swinging lifestyle events specifically, there's a very small margin and you have to be really, really good at what you do. Everyone thinks it's so fun to just let's throw a party and let's just have a bunch of fun. And you realize very, very quickly that the margins are incredibly small. You have to be very, very mindful with what you're spending your money on and the venues you're choosing and your insurance practices and all of that. So I think we're going to start to see far fewer, or at least we're going to see much smaller and more curated events because especially pre COVID you were seeing these gigantic thousand person events and there's really only one left in the country at this point. So yeah, I think you're going to see these smaller curated events, much like the ones we put together. It's unfortunate because much like Brenda said, there are, There are a lot more people, let's say, for example, in the podcast lifestyle space. That does not mean that they're all good. What I don't want to see happen is things get watered down and start to make things more difficult for people who are trying to do it properly. Or for people that are trying to actually gain information. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, the legitimacy of a lot of the folks that are in this space, because now people are starting to see that there's some opportunity, right? Now, they don't know what the opportunity is, but they see it as an opportunity, and it's fraudulent and it's immoral, and they're just trying to take advantage of people, you know? And for me, that's a, I have a problem with that. And unfortunately, I think that's there's more of that than not, and I really want to see the space almost clean itself up, which is why the e and Summit is so important to me. Yeah. If you're going to host events, you're going to do takeovers, cool, but you really do need to follow some protocols. And there, this isn't complicated stuff, right? This is safety, security, consent, it being thoughtful, com- inclusive. These are very simple concepts to grasp. But like Brenna said, not an easy space. You're limited in a lot of times to the places you can host these events. You do have very small margins. So your options are one of two. You either throw an event in a place that you would not ordinarily ever sleep in and charge very little money and try to fill the place up, or you have better curated events and it costs a little bit more. And then you have a better quality product. And that's what we do. We're not the cheapest in town by any means, but I am not going to throw an event at the do drop in and hope for the best. You know, that's just not, doesn't work for me. Totally feel that. Do you have to like go over things with your lawyer every time? Like, what do you, is it just fortunately? Yeah. Uh, our lawyer is my friend. I've worked for, <laughs> worked with for 30 years in, in Texas. Oh, wow. uh, he left back in 2000, came to Vegas, went to law school, and he owns two law p- firms here, and he practices business law. Oh, so, brilliant. Uh, fortunately for us, <laughs> it works out really well. But yes, I am uh, in constant contact with him because we have to be, yeah. you know, yeah. about it. I mean, I'll call him, I'll text him for any stupid reason. I'm like, hey, I know this is ridiculous. And he'll send me some messages back like, you're a moron. Just do this. Yeah. You know? Okay. Got it. Yeah. Just, but you have yeah. to be careful. This space you, is you full do. of you all of these be. landmines. Yeah, you have to be. Well, and there's some crazy lot. Like, I, I had a meeting with a lawyer recently, and I was like, and this idea, and that, and I think someday I'd like to do that. And he, like, just told me some real facts about And I was like, yeah. oh, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's just it. Like, I'll say it to people all the time, especially like my buddy. If your friend who's an attorney is willing to sit down with you for two hours, and give you, he basically would give me, he'll give me a class on like the history of business law 101 for free, yeah. right? So you just sit down and shut up and take notes. That's just what you do. So when your attorney is willing to do that, just shut up and listen yep. because the information is invaluable. I've been in business my entire life. I was the chief operating officer for a very large restaurant group in Texas. I was the vice president for the largest privately held restaurant company in the world. I've done a lot of stuff in the business world. I have learned more from our attorney because of this space in the last year than I think I've known my entire life. Texas law, I can tell you up and down because that's where I operated. Mm-hmm. This space is very different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very, very different. You are under such different constraints and you really do need to pay attention. And scrutiny. And yeah, I mean, all the eyes are on you. 
all the eyes. And don't kid yourself, someone's looking to get you. Wow. What is like a standout moment from your work? Like something that you think back on, it can be an event or a podcast or something else, but like something that still makes you tingly and smile. So we host an event called Pod Bash every year, and it's we don't make any money. Yeah, I just off got it. chills That's, when you said it. <laughs> we make no money off this event. It's literally just an opportunity for us to bring together people that have been supportive of our show. We bring in other lifestyle podcasters and their listeners, and it really is just kind of a networking opportunity throughout the weekend. People party together. I mean, obviously there's sex happening, but it's way more than that. The first one that we threw was in 2021, and people walked away from that event with lifelong friends. I mean, it was so fun. I I will never forget. There was the last day of the event. We took a picture. There was a big balcony, and we probably had over 100 people on this balcony, and that wasn't even a third of the people that that attended the event. And everyone is hugging and crying and taking photos together. Together. And it was just a reminder to me that this is not just about sex. Anyone that thinks that the lifestyle space or lifestyle events is just about sex, you need to come to an event like yeah. that because you yeah, realize very quickly it's about finding your people. It's about finding people that respect you and understand you and want to, you know, support you and cheer you on and all the things yeah. that you're doing in your life, both sexually and otherwise. So I think that for me was kind of the one that just like makes me feel good yeah pod bash was a big deal for us we've done it two years in a row now we've moved it here to vegas the third year's full takeover here in vegas at a hotel in september and what really has come out of that is you know we have a private telegram group and there's about 175 people in that group and they chat every morning every day all day i probably haven't looked at it in a couple hours probably 200 missed messages oh my gosh do you read through all of them all of them we go through it's it's constant. It's all day. And we have multiple of them, but the one is the big one. Then we have one for Pod Bash. And there's a men's group I have with a bunch of guys. So Pod Bash really brought all those people together. And it's life changing for people who have never been. It really is. And then the people who have come multiple years, it's like a family reunion. So, you know, again, it's not about the sex. Sex is easy. We can do that all day long. It's not hard to find. Mm-hmm. It's the building of relationships that's complicated, right? That's the tricky part. And I say it all the time. I firmly believe that there is no universally recognized community within this space. We're not there yet. We have, however, have created our own community of amazing people. And that's why we do Podbash. We have made in the past two years, zero dollars on Podbash. It's cost us about 12 grand to throw (laughs) this thing over the last two years. It's worth it. It's worth it. We don't do it for the money. I promise you there's no money in Podbash. But it's a blast. We bring our friends together. You know, the tagline is, it's just a fucking party. That's ah! it. There is, it, it's on the website. There are no seminars. There's no bullshit. It's just a party. Show up, take your clothes off, have a good time. That's all this and is. And mix and mingle with people and yeah. really develop those relationships. People from all over the country that have never met. They've only digitally communicated for some, in some cases, up to three years and they've never seen each other. It's a big deal. So yeah, Pod Bash for, for us is like, I mean, if we never host another event, we're going to continue to do Pod Bash oh. just so we could see our friends. What you know? beautiful creators of community you are. That's fantastic. It's amazing. We love it. Yeah, I would. I will do that event five times a year. Wouldn't, I wouldn't do any. I wouldn't have to do anything else. It's great. <laughs> amazing. What would you like to celebrate most about your work right now? I mean, I think for me personally, it's just I came, like I said, I came from the world of corporate America and I look back at the person I was when I was in that world and not in this world. And I don't even recognize myself. I was such a people pleaser. I was such a go with the herd type of a person. I was promoted very quickly for doing things that not that were unethical Mm -hmm. by any means that 
but maybe didn't speak to who I was as a person because you kind of have to do that in that world. And in this world, I feel like I get to forge my own path. And that's created so much confidence in myself in so many different areas, not just professionally, but personally, my relationships, again, we're kind of delving into the world of polyamory. And I, I feel myself being so strong and knowing what I want and demanding things from people that I know that I deserve. And I never would have been that person in the past. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing to celebrate is just like how far I've come as a person in general, but especially professionally. Yeah. For me, again, I was a corporate guy, but I, I did work for an individual for the better part of 30 years. And I absolutely did not operate morally. It was not always above board. I did things and was asked to do things that were absolutely under the table. I wasn't a great person professionally. I did stuff because I got paid to do it. That's what I got. That was my job. You do that. That was, that's what I did. And I don't do that shit anymore. I've owned a number of businesses. I always had terrible partners. I finally have the right one. <laughs> and so for me personally, not being that guy anymore, not being that person, I don't have the desire to do the things I used to do. I'm much older, obviously, and have no interest in that. But when I think back, and you know, we just had this conversation the other day because the other half of my former company was just sold. When I think of some of the things I did to get ahead in that world, I can't even imagine that. Per I don't even know who that person was anymore. It's really difficult for me to even wrap my head around. And now what we do is literally try to bring people together and, and help people explore their sexuality and enjoy themselves that way. It's a totally different space. So I, I see what Brent and I have done from literally a blog, didn't know what we were doing, started this podcast with a cell phone and a couple of shitty mics. And, you know, we've gotten to where we are. It's the, you know, the largest podcast in the space. We have an international sponsorship and, uh, you know, the thing's taken on a life of its own. I don't, I, it blows me away every time we think about it. Living our dreams. Yeah. Fuck yeah, that's Fucking awesome. Okay, I would like to end on a fantasy brainstorm question. Okay. So you, I, I give you a little sneak peek of some of my like larger life goal dreams, but imagine there is a creative space, holistic creativity. I consider sex the founding, the building block, foundational building block for creativity. A creative space that's part sex ed museum, part erotic art gallery. There's a secret members-only dungeon down below that during the week, the whole place has educational workshops on weeknights and afternoon play parties on weekends. Sex workers can, can film content there. It's a whole thing. You are tasked with creating and designing one of the rooms. It can represent you, promote your brand, be an experience that you want people to have that reflects your values, and you have an unlimited budget. Mm. What is the Brian and Brenna room like? Oh, that's oh. easy for me. Okay, you go first then. <laughs> Early... 1900s speak easy the kind of place that if you don't find a partner you could fuck the couch you know what i mean like super sexy luxurious dimly lit just that old prohibition vibe elegant but just super sexy oh i like that yeah. i think for me and maybe to add to that because i really like that i want you can have another room too I, well i want something that's about like all the senses when i think of something and i think of the best experiences that i've had sexually or otherwise it's things that speak to every sense so it's the music it's the smells it's the fabrics it's you know people with consent touching and that sensuality and the exploration of somebody else's body not just i think so many people think of sex as like just this transactional thing and i would love to create a space where that is not the case and it's so much more about you know the energies bouncing off of each other and that's really celebrated in that space yeah. fuck yeah <laughs> Ugh, 
where can people find you on the internet? We're everywhere at Except Front Porch. Except for TikTok currently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're everywhere at Front Porch Swingers. Honestly, the easiest way to find us for everything is FrontPorchSwingers.com. You're going to find everything there. the podcast, the events, the naughty Oh, links. I wanted to ask you, why is it called Front Porch Swingers? <laughs> What's that part? So, Have you, did you fuck on a swing on the porch? Well, we used to, well, when we lived in Montana, we had a porch with a, a swing on the front, swing porch, on the front porch. But I think for me, it was more so the <laughs> nostalgia of, you know, the idea of, we were rural swinging at that point, right? We were in a space where we didn't have a lot of people around us and you had to be really creative. And that's really where the show stemmed from was us being able to, like I said, connect with people outside of that one small community. So, <laughs> it, you know, that was part of it. But the other thing as it's kind of evolved is we're on the front porch, not the back porch, because yeah, we are proud. We are proud swingers. We are proud non-monogamous people. We are proud of the work that we do. We're not in hiding. And while we understand that people still have to be in certain situations, we want to continue to move this space forward so hopefully one day that isn't the case yeah now to be fair we couldn't actually have sex on our front porch at our old house in montana because we you could were see a, a block from the elementary school that's oh, not great yeah, no, we actually had to look up the laws because we were having sex like next to the fire pit in the backyard and i'm like oh shit we're less than 1500 feet from the school we can't do this that outside. was illegal yeah, yeah. so we had to take it indoors. just because you were outside yeah can't do it oh. yeah 1500 feet from the school you're asking to be inside if you're doing the nasty <laughs> well yeah absolutely good to know the laws oh my god <laughs> not even in your own backyard <laughs> wow <laughs> bruna and brian thank you so much for being guests on Thanks sex stories thank you this is fun